The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entity. Hey, Chelsea, you ready to do another podcast with me? Can't wait. <laughs> I, now this, we're going to switch roles a little bit and you're going to interview me because I, I want to talk sort of about these uh, these Moneyball questions that we're going to get into. And by the way, when I say Moneyball, do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen the movie Moneyball, Brad Pitt? Yeah, Jonah, I've something? seen it. Okay, but you don't really Doesn't remember mean it. Doesn't much. <laughs> okay, so, so those that, uh, that don't remember, Moneyball tells the story of the Oakland A's who in one year they didn't have a lot of salary space, right, to be able to to pay for a bunch of big premier players. But instead what they did is they hired this statistician whose goal was to help them make what they call moneyball decisions about players that, that are going to generate the right statistics that will help them win. Um, you know, sports basically is a compilation of statistics that that generates scores and and scoring generates wins. So so this this person, I mean, the Oakland A's with the lowest salary uh, in the league ended up breaking the record of like 20 uh, wins in a row or something like that. So does that kind of make sense why we call them many ball questions? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So Gallup took on this challenge and developed statistics that employers should uh, be looking at if they want employees to be engaged and loyal. Right. Um, okay. So they looked at data that leaders can directly influence and came up with 11 factors that surpass all others in determining if your employees will be engaged with you. Yeah. And it was a huge study. I mean, I think it was something like it was a span of 50 years and I don't know how many countries. And they 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 say it's the most comprehensive Gallup study ever. And and I should also point out, so we're talking about how do we know if we have engaged employees their study found that if you as a leader are effective at engaging your employees, that it takes more than a 20% increase in pay for them to leave you, right? So, so if I have an engaged employee, they're not going to leave for a dollar an hour up the street or anything like that. They, they're, they're much more loyal to you. So this employee engagement is, is something that we really want to get right as, as leaders. Our turnover issues, our agency issues, they're going to be solved so much or, or we will solve a large piece of them if we get this right. Okay. So let's go down the list of questions. Number one is, I know what is expected of me at work. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I guess I want to say this too. I feel like a lot of people are jumping very quickly to gimmicks in, to try and solve staffing issues. And they're jumping to those gimmicks without solving these fundamental issues first, right? And, and I'm okay with gimmicks if all the fundamentals are being met and we still have to try something else. But if we're trying to just overcome it. So this number one, look, we have far too many employees that really don't understand their expectations. 
Um, and, and for me, that's a sign of a bad hiring process and it's a bad orientation process. Because if we're doing a really good job in orientation, then, then we should be very clear on expectations. Stephen Covey once said that frustration is a function of expectation. That I, I've repeated that phrase a lot because it really hit me that it, as, it doesn't matter how hard something is that we face, if we were expecting it, we won't be frustrated. It, and, and so clarifying those expectations up front is such an important process. It's, but if we have a different expectation and something doesn't live up to our expectations, that's when we, when we start to get really frustrated, right? So, so I've seen it where an, an ED or a leader of an operation in their orientation, they stand up front and they show a slide that lists their expectations. If I expect you to question things here. I expect you to speak up. I expect you to confront each other. When you and I did the podcast on, on new business ventures and principles applied, you said one of the things that we had to get better at was, was talking to each other and not about each other. That might be something in orientation where I'm saying to my new people, hey guys, I have an expectation that you talk to each other, not about each other. We don't gossip here. That's my expectation. Or, you know, even the expectation of, hey, you might be asked to pick up shifts from time to time. I know that's not easy, but but I, I want to make sure that, that you're clear on that expectation. And if if those expectations are clarified and not hidden from the beginning, then our employees are so much more engaged because they know what's expected of them at work. I, I, I really feel like this is something we need to do better in our interviewing, our orientations, uh, regular conversations, our quick connects. We need to we need to clearly state what our expectations are, and then and then I'll add on that too. Be willing to listen to what their expectations are. Like, hey, I expect to not be thrown on the floor. I, I expect to be trained. I expect this. We all just need to do a better job of of knowing what's expected at work. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It actually makes me think of an analogy that you use often of if you tell me to run, like how far yeah, am I running? Am yeah. I running a marathon? Am I running a mile? How fast am I going? And really having that expectation up front helps you pace yourself and That's also exactly the know right what, you're, what you're working towards. So um, yeah. I know I found myself frustrated many times and oftentimes it comes back to me not not being clear in my expectations. So, yeah, that's good. Okay, so number two, um, I have the equipment I need to do to do my job well. Yeah, you know, I used to always just sort of glance over this Moneyball question, um, but but Carissa Podesta in, in our Human Resources had mentioned an idea a while back as we were trying to kind of tackle our staffing issues. And she said, hey, can we find products or systems or anything like that that would help lighten the load of our people? And so we were, you know, we, we we reached out to Beacon and we reached out to some other other suppliers to to kind of help us find, you know, what are the cutting edge things that are out there? You know, there might be things, supplies that we could buy that are cheaper, but they're so much more frustrating for our, our partners to use, our staff to use. We should always be seeking feedback on what equipment and supplies we have and make sure that our employees have what they need in order to fulfill with the mission well. And and sometimes, I mean, I don't have a lot to say on this, but sometimes it's as simple as making sure that the supply closet is always full, right? And and that may seem like a little thing to us, but it's Moneyball question number two. I have the equipment that I need to do my job well. 
Yeah, or sometimes it's even snacks. I know that or keeps people happy. Yeah. Um, all right. I've heard you talk about number three a lot. In the last seven days, I have received praise or recognition. Yeah, this is the best part of the job, right? As a leader. This is the part where we get to say, like, the good job. Good job. I mean, you you like that, right? I, I know do. I know you like getting positive, you know, reinforcement, positive feedback. And so the question I ask when I do this training is, why don't we? If it's something we love to do and it's so easy and it's such a good thing, I mean, why don't we? And I, there's different... One of the ways that we fail to do this, and we've talked about this a lot, we're not specific enough in our praise. We're too general. Hey, you're doing a great job. Pat them on the back, right? Uh, an, another reason why we fail to do this is we're, we've trained our minds uh, to look for the negative. When we get out on the floor, when we're walking through our operations, we're there are so many things going wrong. We feel like we need to deal with those. We almost have don't have time to focus on the positive things which sounds ridiculous and that that which sort of goes into the next one is we almost feel like we don't have time uh to to fix so many of these negative things right so um i i might walk down a hallway and i might say hey guys how are you doing is there anything i can do to to uh help you guys today leaders are hesitant to ask that question because their answer might be yes <laughs> and so and so they almost walk down and and it's it's more of of avoidance and and where if I if I'm spending time praising them, they might lose focus on the things that need to be changed. So, look, the book Multipliers tells us that we need to be really good at shining a light on on the good things that that, you know, people are doing. And and this doesn't just need to come from you as the leader. This isn't you just about you 24 seven out on the floor, you know, praising everybody. Create a culture of people that shine a light you ever seen those like shout out walls? I don't know if you've seen those. Like on, in, in certain operations, you'll see a wall and it's just employees praising each other. In the and, and I think that's awesome. It's just people saying, hey, I just wanted to recognize so-and-so because she picked up the shift and really helped me out. Or uh, another one that I guess I would add to this too is, is third person praise. You know, we say we shouldn't, we should talk to each other, not about. I've got an exception to that. If we're praising other people, I think it's great to praise people behind their back because it's really nice when someone else comes to you and says, hey, do you know who was just talking about you and saying great things about you the other day? Joe Joe was saying that you're so conscientious and you have such a way of, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's a, I don't know. I, yeah, I think I've seen that one thing. in action. I, I, I think yeah. can think of a couple of times where someone said, hey, so-and-so did a great job. And then just reaching out to that person, you did an awesome job on this. And man, they were... Writing, People are talking about them yeah, in a good way. Yeah, writing a cloud the rest of that day. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, writing a cloud. Is that the term? I don't know or cloud nine? Or cloud nine. just making up new? <laughs> I'm good at that. <laughs> and, and I do feel like, look, I, I don't. I tend to not trust leaders that motivate through fear. And I, and I think a lot of us do that. I think a lot of us do motivate through fear. I'm going to write you up. I'm going to, you know, don't let me catch you doing this wrong. I better not see you sitting around at the nurse's station chatting. But instead of getting people to stop running from our criticism, let's get people to want to rise to our praise. Let's get people to want to hear some of the things that they're hearing being said about others. And yes, we still need to hold each other accountable. We still have to have those tough discussions, but it's so much easier to do when they've been hearing so much of the good. So I've received praise in the last seven days. That's if if your employees are saying yes to that, they're likely to be more engaged. If they're saying no to that, 
which I bet a lot of them are saying no to that, then they're not as likely to be engaged. Yeah. And I think it kind of makes it easier to get that constructive feedback um, when you know your leader also sees the positives that you're contributing. You feel safe with it. And and, and when they say something hard, you're like, okay, I can take that because I know they buy into me. Yeah, exactly. All right. Number four is someone at work. Oh, the question is uh, someone at work seems to care about me as a person. Yeah, I've heard you important uh, emphasize the importance of those last few words there as a person. Yeah, so can you talk we, about we that? talked about that in our last podcast, right? That that we need to, you know, again, I refer to this book a lot: leadership and self deception. I I've came to realize that as nice as a leader, or as fun as a leader, as motivating as a leader as I thought I was in running operations, I came to realize. I was in the box towards most of my people. I cared about my people as CNAs. I cared about my people as housekeepers, as licensed nurses. But as a person, I needed to do better. Uh, and, and that sort of seems manipulative, right? Like I would be really fun and really nice. And then the CNA wouldn't show up. And I would think oh, all that work was in vain. They're still not showing up. But that means I was just being nice so that they would show up. That's manipulative. Right. I it, my question should always be, you know, are they OK? Is is there something that they need if I care about their their humanity? Right. But I I uh, I think I crossed over into that horrible space where I saw people as hole fillers. Yeah. I, this one was a hard concept for me to, to wrap my head around. I'm like, I'm so nice to them, but they just. Yeah. Why aren't they coming? <laughs> yeah. Why are they still making my life hard? Right. And, and that almost makes them bad people. But but again, I, I think from my my perspective, I realized I was manipulatively. Can I make that an adverb? Kind to them. I was kind to them for a purpose and wanting. But they need to know that I care about them as a person. And and I. You know, one of the great ways to uh, to teach that is, is those that have been in my trainings know I, I like the Ted Lasso training. Right. And this as Ted Lasso speaking to everybody and he's saying he's saying, look, I, I people used to make fun of me all the time, but I learned the problem was with them, not with me. I've learned that I need to be curious, not judgmental. I think we're judgmental of our people and we need to learn to be more curious. Called off for the fifth time, we're judgmental. Be curious. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder how I can help them. It doesn't mean we don't still hold them accountable. We do. We just change how we do it and we change how we see them as they do it. Uh, and and I, I just feel like that as we learn how to treat people as people, magic will happen. They will walk through walls for you. So, so the question then is, you know, well, how do I do that, right? And I, I guess I'd just offer a, a couple of suggestions. How do, I, how do I treat my nurses as people and not nurses, my housekeepers as people and not housekeepers? One, take the time to get to know their stories. This is sort of the magic of the quick connect. As a leader and as, a, as an operation, we should all be quick connecting with each other. We should all be checking in with each other. Hey, what's going on? How did your test go? What what happened to your daughter's soccer game? What's what's just care about people's stories. And and we find that what the more we learn about each other's stories, the more we tend to care about them as a person. Now, if we're not able to do that with everyone. You know, the example I give all the time, someone I'm driving with on the freeway, right? I I 
I don't have a chance to get to know their story. They're just the jerk that just cut me off. But what I can do is I can tell myself a different story. I can tell myself that, hey, they're, they're rushing to the hospital to, to be with a loved one. And, and people will say, well, Clay, that's stupid. That's not likely. But here's my answer to that. If I treat them the, wrong, the right way by telling myself the wrong story, that's still right. I'm still treating somebody the right way, which is what I should do. But if I treat somebody the wrong way for the correct story, the right story, that's still wrong. It's always wrong to treat somebody the wrong way. So it's always better to tell yourself better stories about people. And it changes how you see them and it'll change how they feel about you. And they're likely to be more engaged, according to Gallup. And it makes you feel better, too. And it makes you feel better, too. <laughs> and you're riding a cloud or whatever uh, whatever saying you gave. All right. Uh, so I know these two are separate ones, but I want to combine number five and number 11. Yeah. Number five is someone at work encourages my development. And number 11 is in the last year I've had opportunities to grow. Yeah, that's good because I know I'm getting long-winded. So it's probably good that we combined a couple of these. I see you're going to combine all the rest for the next question <laughs> if I don't shorten off these answers. All right. I, I, I get your message. All right. So so Gallup discovered that it, it meant a great deal to employees to have someone pushing them to learn more. So some facilities hold skills fairs or, or leadership development programs or, or mentor programs or, or they teach them how to interview and they ask peers to be interviewers. When an employee feels like someone encourages their development, they're so much more likely to be engaged. I think the number is something like seven times more likely to be engaged. Wow, that's a lot. That is a, seven times is a lot. And, and then... With that development, they're given opportunities to use it, right? So, so that's this next one. In the last year, I've had opportunities to grow. So um, let, me, let me give an example of how to accomplish both. Ima imagine you're looking to hire a new CNA. Now, what I might do is I might approach one of my culture champions, stalwart CNAs, and say, hey, I want you to help us interview this new CNA that, that we're looking to hire and, and help us determine if we should hire them. You know, should they be one of your future partners? First, what I want you to do, I want you to listen to this podcast. There's my shameless plug. There's a couple podcasts on, on how to interview more effectively or even give them a sheet of paper that says, hey, here's interview questions and, and I want you to learn how to interview. Then on Thursday, I want you to interview this candidate and help us decide if they're good enough to work with you, right? I'm encouraging their development because they are, uh, I'm, I'm teaching them how to be an interviewer, how to, how to kind of gauge correct employees. I'm giving them opportunities to grow. They're going home and they're saying to their loved ones, they're saying, hey, my, my boss or my partner now wants me to help determine who works here. I'm being elevated, right? It's an owner responsibility, and it's an extension of trust. So I'm help, I'm giving them opportunities to grow. I'm helping them in their development. And when I'm doing these things, they're seven times more likely to be engaged with me. If I'm giving them real responsibility, I'm extending real trust and extending them trust like that and giving them responsibility and opportunities to grow, that, that's motivating to people. If people are burned out, this is a great thing to do. So I, I just think it's really important to to extend this trust, to give people opportunities to grow. 
I, I've just always believed that progression is the key to happiness and, and you're giving them an opportunity to progress. Yeah. And so growth is progression, right? More yeah. than just a change of title or a change of yeah. responsibility. It's just continuing to progress. Some people think, well, I don't have, there's no, I, there's no real growth. Yeah, you can grow. Growth doesn't have to come through a title. It can come through responsibility. It can come through extensions of trust. You as a leader should constantly be asking yourself, how can I give the people around me opportunities to grow? Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, number six, my opinions seem to count at work. How do we help people feel that way? Well, let me answer that question with a question. Mm. Okay. <laughs> what, and I'm not asking you, you don't have to answer oh, this, good. but, but anybody, <laughs> anybody that you started sweating, anybody yeah. that's listening to this, what have you done with the most recent employee survey that you've received? I think a lot of times we, we get these surveys and and the people answer them, they took time to fill them out and they don't know what you're doing with them. Like you read them, you wanted to see your scores, but, but what did you do with it? What, what changes did they see happen from it? People need to feel heard. If they don't feel heard, they'll never feel like an owner, right? They, uh, they used to tell me all the time uh, when I would take over an operation, they say, we're understaffed. And my response was always, you know, the accounting, no, you're not, you know, I see you're staffed at 3.6 or whatever we were staffed at. And, and I, but, but what they were telling me is we feel understaffed, we feel tired and they need to feel heard on those things. And I, I can't dismiss that. I need to work with them to find a solution to how they feel. Um, I, I, I think the, you know, the, the smallest yet biggest example I like comes from an ED that, that was told by an employee. Uh, and, and some of us have heard this story that this ED always had uh, candy in their in their office. And an employee came in and said, oh, you don't have Snickers. Snickers is my favorite. Why don't you have any Snickers? That ED immediately ran to the store, got some Snickers, paged the CNA, said, hey, check out my candy. And and they come in they started spreading through the entire facility. That CNA was ecstatic that sharing with everyone. I told him I like Snickers and he went and got Snickers and it just, you would have thought he gave her like a thousand dollar bonus, but it was just, they, they felt heard. They felt like they were listened to and that their opinions mattered. We need to be better listeners and implement the things that we hear in these surveys and, and debate the ones that we disagree with, because that's being heard too. I hear you. I'm going to tell you why I think that you're wrong, but I'm going to treat you like an adult. And, and, uh, when an employee feels like their opinion matters, they're likely to be more engaged. Yeah, I think that's key, too, because we can't always implement everything that we hear in these nope. surveys and we might not always agree with them. I but think we should all dress like bananas. Yeah. I'm going to tell you, I think that's a dumb idea. <laughs> but but how we respond and how we make sure that they're heard is super important in that as well. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, OK, the next one I've heard you say is a big one for you personally. Yeah. Uh, number seven, our mission makes me feel my job is important. And I know we just spent a lot of time talking about mission and vision in our last podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It Look, people don't just want jobs anymore. They, they, they want to feel like they're part of a cause or a mission. When you get hired at Disney, I, I live about 10 minutes from Disneyland. When you get hired at Disneyland, the first day of orientation has no paperwork. It's all about helping people understand the culture or the mission, the, the mission or the vision of that organization. Um, and you have to ask yourself, how much time do you spend on that? 
right? If, if, if I go and talk to your housekeepers or laundry workers or drivers or dispatchers, and I ask them, what's your, what's your vision? What's your, what's your mission? Everyone should be able to give me a really solid answer of what they stand for. And, and I, you know, I tend to start this in the interview process. I let people know what we're trying to do. And I even show them the data in the interview process. This is what we're doing. This is what our organization is doing. This is what we've accomplished. And this is how we're accomplishing it. It's the, this is what the emergency fund in. This is what the flag is. Moments of truth. I want them to understand this is far more than a job. It's, it's a life and a, and a cause. Um, you know, we've joked about this in the past, almost a little bit of a <laughs> welcome to our cult, you know, and, and here's the Kool-Aid and you're welcome to drink some of it. I, but I believe in our mission. And, and I think it's our mission that gets me through our hard times because I think, okay, if not us, who? Because I think we are truly the great hope in this industry. And, 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 you know, if we fail, I don't feel like there's anybody close to being able to take that baton. And, and, uh, look, I, I know sometimes people mock me for it. Uh, but if your employees don't feel like they're a part of a mission and they don't know the vision and have the vision, I think you're failing as a leader and I know they're not going to be as engaged as they would be otherwise. Yeah, it's so important. I've seen that in several of the roles that I've had in in many parts of my career and just having to be way better at helping them see that and feel that and know that they're part of something so much bigger than you drink the Kool-Aid, right? And people can tell you drink the Kool-Aid and belief shines through, right? And so you make sure that they have that. And that's that's important. That's good. Yeah, so um, I've seen number eight come into play so much, and that's uh, my peers are committed to doing quality work. Yeah. Um, gosh, this one, this one's hard, right? It's like getting the wrong people out of the way and and making sure the the damage. Um, we hold on to people that we're desperate to keep, and then we lose three good people because we held on those. Uh, not that we're desperate to keep. We hold on to those people because we're desperate. Yes, we 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 have a seat. We need it filled. Yes, <laughs> and that causes more desperation. Right. Look, I've shared this dilemma a lot. I'm going to share it again because I th- I think it's really important, and it's going to check off a lot of the Moneyball questions. So if you've heard this before, bear with me and and think of all the Moneyball questions that this checks off. So you're, you have an operation, you're already short-staffed, as a lot of you are. You don't have enough people because of the, the labor shortage that's out there. Your, your best people are burning out because they're picking up shifts for you. Uh, some of the employees that you do have are weak employees. And, and, you know, if you had better choices, you would certainly take them. And if you're in the sniff world, you might even be using some agency to, to cover some of those shifts, Right. And you constantly say that you are customer second, you're first who, then what, so we only hire the best people. But then a person comes in and interviews for your operation, and that person is very bleh. They're very mediocre. It's very clear that they're mediocre. It's very clear that they're apathetic, but you desperately need them. So the dilemma is, what do you do? Because if I don't hire them, I continue to burn out my people. I continue to have holes on the floor. I continue to hire agency. But if I hire them, I'm bringing on another bad person who might drive out some more bad people. And I know that one of the Moneyball questions is, my peers are committed to doing quality work. So here's my solution to that. And it checks off so many of these Moneyball questions. We kind of talked about it a little bit. I reach out to my culture warriors. I reach out to my CNAs, my dispatchers, my drivers that are just the ones that I want to multiply. And I say, hey, 
will you come in and interview this person? I want you to determine your future peers. Peer interviewing is a very powerful thing. Now I'm helping them develop too. I'm not only helping them interview, I'm saying, okay, you say you want to hire them. If we hire them, I want you to be their mentor. Here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a budget. Take them out to lunch, answer their questions. Uh, if they stay for six months, I'm going to give you even a bonus to, to keep them here. That way you're the person that is making sure all their, all their questions have are answered and that they have a friend and look, look at all these money ball questions that this, this checks one. I know what's expected of me at work because they have a mentor that's helping them, right? The person that's being hired on now has a mentor that we've assigned. Someone at work encourages my development for both of them, the, the interviewer and, and the interviewee, right? Cause they have that peer that's helping them in their development. Someone at work seems to care about me as a person because they're, they're there for you. You have, you're not alone. My opinions seem to count at work. I'm checking off that one now because, well, do you want to know if we should hire this person or not? And, and you followed my decision. Uh, my peers are committed to doing quality work. I know that because I get to choose my peers. I, I'm now the one that gets to select them. Uh, in the last year, I've had opportunities to grow because now I'm an interviewer, I'm a mentor, whatever else. Look, I could go on and on about all these different boxes that it checks, but when we use peer interviewing, mentoring programs, other things like that, we're going to have much more engaged employees. So we really need to consider these as options. Yeah, it seems like it's also checking off box number nine, which is I have a best friend at work. Yeah, yeah. We're kind of assigning them a best friend at work, <laughs> yeah, right? You're, well, you're giving go them a budget to go to lunch and assigning, you know, maybe even yeah. a mentor. And, um, you know, we all know how it feels when we're enjoying the people that we show up and get to work with. So, yeah, I look, I think it makes a world of difference to have. I, I've shared the experience before. I changed high schools right in the middle of high school. I had a lot of friends in my first high school and I moved. And I remember fourth period bell went off and I had to go to lunch. Is Clay lonely? Clay was like, he has nobody to sit with. He doesn't know anybody. Oh, now we're talking in the third person. Yeah, poor like Clay. I, I, maybe Connor's playing a little violin over on the side. Um, uh -uh. But, but that's what our employees go through when they start a job. They, they work, they get to know people, and then it's time to go to lunch and they don't know anybody. If they have a mentor, if they have somebody looking out for them and they even have a budget saying, hey, let me take you to lunch, just I just think it means the world to them. And if you can create those relationships, do fun things at work, play games, because if you can create those friendships, having a best friend at work is a money ball question that helps you determine whether or not your employees are going to be engaged. So create those relationships. Yeah, putting it that way as far as relationships goes makes a lot more sense. I know some people struggle with the the word best friend, yeah, you know. Go be best friends. Right. <laughs> You're assigned to be best friends. But it says best friend at work. Right. They need a go to. Someone that you can vent to, trust. that you trust, that yeah. you enjoy being with. Um, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Okay, so that was nine, and we've covered 11 um, with having the opportunities yeah. to grow. So the last one really is number 10, um, which is in the last six months, someone has talked to me about my progress. Yeah, you know, it, it, it breaks my heart to see the statistics and realize how many people have said, I haven't had an annual review in years. Like, that just should never happen in this organization that claims Caplico. Because that A is in there. Accountability needs to be a part. Th this, 
And this question says they'll be engaged if they're able to talk about their progress every six months. It's saying an annual review isn't even enough. And and let's think about it. An annual review does seem sort of insincere, doesn't it? Like once a year sitting down and saying, wait a year all and right. accumulate all your thoughts about exactly. me and deliver it all at once. Good, where are you bad? <laughs> I, I've changed those who directly report to me. I've changed my progress reviews to every quarter. Um, and if we're look, if we're failing in the annual review, we're clearly failing in this. But I but I I think even if we're doing every annual review, I still think we're failing. Oh, I know we're failing, according to Gallup, right? People are are people that don't get this um, are are failing in a big way. This is a huge cause of our turnover. Not having these ongoing discussions, these regular progress reviews where people are clear how they're doing. I, I've I've talked to people that have just said, I nobody's talked to me in three years, so I'm gone. I, I'm leaving. And all we needed to do was have these progress discussions with them. And when when we have these regular ongoing conversations, uh, you know, they've told us they'll be more engaged. And I really believe that her turnover will will decrease greatly. Yeah, the the whole concept of the quarterly reviews is is a popular belief of mine as well. And, and yeah. hopefully even more regularly, right? Hopefully we have relationships where we're able to talk as things happen and, and do it in real time. But see, Chelsea, people will say to you, yeah, but I don't have time to do that. But I think if you take the time to do that, you're going to save so much time on your decreased turnover and the constant training of people that you're doing you will have time. It will be the only thing that you have time to do is is be with your people. Yeah. And it, it's almost like the more I talk to someone, I don't know, this analogy may not work, but uh, Let's go for <laughs> here it. we go. Let's see what happens. Uh, people that I don't talk to very often, I dread talking to because I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long conversation. I got to get yeah. caught up on all these things. But people I talk to That's regularly, yeah. frequently, I'm like, yeah, we can just nail this out. You have trust. It's much easier to to say those things. And we and know we're going to talk again very soon we'll from tomorrow now. or That's whatever. <laughs> Look, and I, I, you know, the Gallup uh, study has said this 70% of your turnover. No, it's not caused by people giving an increase a dollar an hour up the street, you know, whatever. 70% of your turnover is caused by the relationship with the direct supervisor, right? So, so all the 30, there's 30% of reasons that happen otherwise, and they might give other reasons to you, but 70% when they really dug into it, they said they just didn't have a relationship. We get jobs, we leave bosses. So we need to train our, our direct supervisors to have these ongoing conversations, these progress reviews, these quick connects, all of these money ball questions. Every one of your department heads should be listening to this podcast and and figuring out how they fix uh, each one of these things so that their employees are more engaged. And I'll do a shameless plug for your constructive discontent podcast on getting comfortable with the uncomfortable mm. and having some of these uh, difficult conversations. I know yeah. it's something I'm focused on. So, Good. all right. So Gallup is saying when we get better in all these areas, statistically, our people will be more engaged and the more engaged they are, the harder it is to get them to leave you. I think you kind of just summed that up. So yeah. any parting thoughts, Clay? Yeah, I just customer second. I, I, I really, you know, the, the, the questions from the advantage are, you know, why do you exist and what do you do? But one of the, one of the questions from the advantage is what is most important right now? 
I'm going to give you what I think my answer is for our organization, and I think it's customer second. I think the absolute most important thing we can do right now is become obsessed with it. It needs to become our rally cry. We have to make this industry more appealing to work in. We have to become obsessed with becoming the employer of choice in every community that we operate in. And, and you know, I, I think if uh, that we need to have sort of this customer second rallying cry or, or focus uh, everywhere so that we can engage all of our partners. Well, thanks, Clay, for talking about these things that are so crucial, especially right now. Yeah, uh, hopefully somebody got something out of this and, and we can take some steps up from here. All right. Thanks. <laughs>